You can go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 1, but I would like for us to pray together again before we launch into this passage of Scripture, actually a bunch of different passages of Scripture this morning. Um, as you're finding John chapter 1, it's October now, and uh, at the end of the month, our culture is going to celebrate Halloween, and this is one of the darkest and most beloved holidays in our culture. I think one of the reasons that it is so popular is that it's um, in, in public consciousness, it's disconnected from any religious affiliation, so I think people just feel free to embrace it. Um, you know how with Christmas, there's controversy over whether you should say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays because not everybody believes in Jesus Christ and wants to celebrate his birth. And, um, so that holiday's coming up. And last year, an experience that we had with the kids out trick-or-treating um, made me reevaluate how we're going to observe the holiday as part of our culture at the end of this month. And uh, it got me thinking about light and darkness. Uh, there, there really is a very real darkness and a very real light. And scripture talks a good bit about these things. So during the month of October, we're going to look over some passages that talk about the light. Uh, And it's in preparation for this dark holiday coming up, but also just to live in this world, which has in of itself a lot of darkness. So that's what we're after. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. But I'd really like for us to pray together again before we begin. And I, I don't want it just to just be me praying, although it will definitely be me praying too. But I'd like for you to pray that the Lord would speak to you, that your heart would be open to hearing from him. So well, can we pray that together? Would you bow with me? Father, I feel very aware that the supernatural things that need to happen in our hearts cannot be brought about by the flesh. I'm very aware of my weakness to serve your people and to preach this word this morning. I think we're all aware of how much we need you right now. I know everybody in here has different things going on in their lives, but but we really need you to get our attention to wake us up, to reveal yourself to us, to expand our capability of understanding you and worshiping you and glorifying you and living our lives for you. Or please breathe life into our nostrils, just like you did for Adam in the very beginning. Or may we taste the bread of life this morning. May your word be spirit and life to us. May we truly and deeply, really believe. We confess before we read your word that your son Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we want to know him like John knew him. We want to die to our flesh and our sin, and we want for our lives to be hidden in Christ, like Paul wrote about. May it be no longer us who live, but Christ living in us. And the life that we live now in the flesh, may it be lived by faith in him. 
And we ask these things with bold confidence because these are things you've promised us in your word. So please bring them about in a tangible way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I want to read to you again the first part of what I read to you at the beginning of the service. This is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, I know that that can be a bit of a confusing bit of of scripture, and that's not the subject of the sermon. But for now, just accept the fact that it's talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 4. In him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I want to do an informal poll here, and I'd like you to actually respond. Okay, don't worry, you're not going to be embarrassed. It's going to be okay. Okay, so there's there's a debate among people about the nature of humanity. Are people basically good, but they make bad decisions and have bad things happen to them and and therefore bad things happen, or are people basically bad? And that's why we have all the bad things in, in the world. Okay, so if you think people are basically good, that we're born basically good, raise your hand. And there's some truth to this, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, raise your hand if you think that people are basically bad. We're born messed up. Okay, now, group that thought people are basically good and people that thought basically bad, fight. No, I'm just kidding. There's truth. You can, you can see evidence that could lead you to believe both of those things. For one thing, human beings are made and created in the image of God. Okay? So we are born with worth. We are born with dignity. We are born different from any other creature in all the world. We are God's image bearers. He has a special love, a special regard for humanity. Okay? But... We're also told scripturally that we're born with sin already in us. We're born with this disease. Okay? That's why you don't have to teach your children to lie when it suits them. They figured that one out on their own. Well, where, where, how did they come up with that? I didn't teach them to lie. It was in them. We don't have to teach our children to be jealous and, and covetous over toys. It's within them already. Okay? But actually, you're all wrong. Because a more accurate way isn't that people are basically good or basically bad. But scripturally speaking, people are basically dead. We're born into a very real death. Spiritually speaking, we are all stillborn. I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 2. It's going to be up here, but you may also want to flip to it so you can see it in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And you were dead. You were dead. 
in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." And we've talked about this before, but our popular culture remains very interested in zombies. And in a few weeks, I can guarantee we're going to see more zombies here and there. And on Halloween, I can guarantee when your doorbell rings, if you get trick-or-treaters, there'll be some little zombies there. Okay, now I'm not an expert in zombie culture. But uh, my understanding from zombies that you know I remember as a child... Not actual zombies that I was like friends with. You know, on TV. You guys know what I mean. Randy, come on. They're undead people who yet are able to walk. They are the walking dead. Okay, and, and they operate by, by a craving. And it, what, from what I remember, I think they like to eat human brains. I don't know if that's still the case. Is that what they want still? No? Lucky? What are they? The whole thing. Okay. They're really hungry. They're basically cannibals now, really, I guess. Okay, anyway, none of this is the point. I still think that we are so interested in zombies because we relate to them so well. Because we're all sort of born that way. We're born the walking, living dead. We're physically alive, we're emotionally alive, we're mentally alive, but we're spiritually dead. And so we, like zombies, operate just by fleshly cravings. What feels good, what tastes good, what looks good, that's what shapes our life. It says you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead, yet you walked. But you walked in slavery to sins and trespasses. In slavery to, and this is weird language, but it's referring to this world and Satan who is right now wielding a great deal of influence in the world when it says... Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived, it's a, it's a living death. We all lived in the passions of our flesh. When the Bible says flesh, it's referring to everything about you that isn't surrendered to Jesus Christ. So it's not, not just your literal flesh, but it's that part of you that's in control, is controlled by sin. We once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. You know, without Jesus Christ, we are spiritually dead. We are spiritual zombies, totally enslaved to the whims and the cravings of our flesh. Flip your page one back into Galatians and we get a pretty vivid picture of what it looks like to be completely eaten up by the cravings of the flesh. This is Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, 
And if you thought that, I don't do any of that, and things like these, that last bit is sort of a blanket statement. Anything connected to these sorts of things are works of the flesh. We're born enslaved to these sorts of things. Apart from Jesus Christ, we're, we're dead. I think one reason that Jesus doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people and seems unnecessary is because we underestimate just how bad off we are without him. And we think that education will do the trick. Better government will solve our problems. Financial stimulus will take care of it. We just need psychological therapy to help us. We need psychiatric drugs to help us with the chemical imbalances. We need a criminal justice system so we can punish and and reform people who've gotten into bad things. We need school disciplinary tactics, in-school suspension, out-of-school suspension. That'll, That'll help us. Parents just need to either put their kids in timeout or spank them, whatever your preferred method may be. Teenagers just need to be grounded. But we've seen years and years of history how these things don't change people. They help us to cope with the darkness in this world, but they do not help us to conquer the darkness in this world. They help us to manage the spiritual death and decay within us, but they don't help us to change it. They help us to become better educated fornicators and adulterers and porn addicts. They help us to become more wealthy gluttons and addicts. The pills help us to to become more sedate idolaters, but they don't change us. Because ultimately our problem isn't ignorance or poverty. Our ultimate problem, our deepest problem, is death, is spiritual death. So ultimately we don't need all these good things, education, financial help, all these things which are good, but they don't solve the ultimate problem. The only thing that will solve the ultimate problem is resurrection. And that can't be brought about by human flesh and blood. Only God can bring that about through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus, we are dead. In Jesus, we have life. So back to John. Verse 4, John chapter 1. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Another way to put that and reframe it, the light of men is the life within Jesus. Apart from Jesus, there is no life. In Jesus is life. And that life is the light of men. What makes Jesus so special anyway? Is it because he was that great of a teacher that he still has so many followers? Is it because he was that great of a leader that the church of Jesus Christ still stands? Is it because he was that great of a moral example? No, I think there was something different about him even beyond those things. You know, John, who wrote this, was Jesus' Jesus's closest disciple. Listen to how he introduced one of his letters, 1 John chapter 1. Listen to how close he was to Jesus Christ. 
he, he's saying what he's going to be talking about in this letter, and it, it is that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. See, John was right there beside Jesus. He knew what Jesus' voice sounded like. He knew exactly what Jesus' face looked like. He saw Jesus when he was tired. He saw Jesus when he was happy and smiling. He saw Jesus when he was weeping. He saw Jesus very, very early in the morning when he was tired or late at night. He saw Jesus as he interacted with people. He interacted directly with Jesus in his physical body. And this seems to be that the main thing that stood out to him about Jesus was that somehow within him was this quality of life. The theme of life comes up over and over and over again in John's writings in reference to Jesus. Verse 2, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship, which could also be translated shared life, with us. And indeed our fellowship or shared life is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What makes Jesus so special is that there's life there. There's life in Jesus Christ. Not just better rules or better rituals or better rites or better religion. It's that in Jesus Christ alone there's life. It's not that our religion is, is cooler than any of the other religions. It's not that we've figured out a better moral system than the other religions. It's that we have Jesus Christ. And he's the only one who offers life. What makes us distinct is not our moral code or our rules or our rituals or the way we do our church or the way we look or the way we talk or how helpful we are. What makes us truly distinct is that we have found the cure for the deepest, truest need in humanity. Resurrection. Life. You know, the, there's a man that I've learned a lot from named John Piper. And I like his writings because he tends to be very serious about the Bible. And he's very uh, exegetical, to use the big word. He, he tries to only say things that he finds scripturally true. You know, may not agree with every single thing he's ever said, but he's helpful. And he set out to write a book just on salvation. What happens when a person moves from being unsaved to saved, non-Christian to Christian, unbeliever to believer? And he did all his research and he wrote his book. And then he, you know, you have to write a title for your book, which can often be the hardest part, figuring out a title that sums up the message of a book. And the title I think says it all and perfectly encapsulates what it means to become a Christian. The title of the book was Finally Alive. That's in essence what Christianity is. All of life trudging through the darkness of spiritual death. And then Jesus, we trust and believe in him and finally we're alive. Finally we're freed from slavery to our flesh in this world. So in this season where we hold up and celebrate darkness, I want you to know and remember that the light of men is the life within Jesus. Everyone that you know and love who is struggling with their own sin, their own flesh, and the darkness of this world, the main thing they need is an advice 
but Jesus Christ. Apart from him, we are spiritually dead. But in him, we have life. I've been praying big scriptural prayers for us in preparation for this month. I've been praying that, like I prayed at the beginning of this sermon, that God would breathe life into our nostrils, just like he did for Adam. Remember, when he made Adam, he was just a pile of dust, and then God breathed life in, and he came alive. I've been praying that God would do that for us and draw others in and breathe life into their nostrils. I've been praying that as we read Jesus' word and we come and worship together, that it would be to us the bread of life. That it would be spirit and life to us. That we would believe. I've been praying that we would know firmly that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That we would know firmly and remember and live in light of the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That we would die to our flesh and sin. That our lives would be hidden in Christ. That it would be no longer us who live, but Christ living in us. And that the life that we now live in the flesh, that we would live by faith in Jesus. Those are my prayers. Would you bow with me and just ask the Lord for these things yourself? Let's pray. Father, may we as a church see the light of Jesus Christ and believe in him and trust in him. And truly live, truly live free of our sin and our flesh in this world. And may we pass that light on to others. In Jesus' name, amen.